Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Good morning. It is an honor to stand here once again in this holy pulpit where so many other saints of God have reflected on sacred scripture and offered you words of comfort and words of strength. I have known many of you on the other side of the camera for over 20 years. Others of you came to All Souls after my time here. In 1999, I had the privilege of serving as canon to Todd Donatelli and journeying with this community for almost four years. I now have the privilege of journeying with you once again as Bishop Jose's canon to the ordinary and chief of staff and being a liaison with the vestry and the discernment committee during this time of transition towards your next dean. I am blessed to serve alongside incredibly faithful men and women like Michael McLaughlin and Kathy Rauch, their joy and commitment to the mission of God in this place is truly an inspiring, and I am grateful simply to be in their presence. When I was a little girl, every year in December, my grandmother would take me to see the San Francisco Ballet perform Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker, dressed up, complete with black patent leather shoes. I would sit on the edge of my seat, captivated by the fluid grace moving on the stage. The expressive hands, the powerful feet and legs, the beautiful costumes, all telling the old Prussian story. Years later, as a teenager living in Hawaii, I found myself once again enthralled by dance, specifically all forms of hula, both ancient and modern. The elegance of the body telling the stories of the land and the ancient peoples that called those Pacific Islands home. Now, I was certainly never a proficient student dancer, but I dabbled a little bit in high school, and I even took an adult class at the Asheville Conservatory a couple of years ago. What has always remained true since my childhood is a deep appreciation for all forms of dance and the art and science behind the elegance. One of the things I have learned is this. At the beginning of every ballet rehearsal, every dancer, even principal dancers from prestigious companies, stand at the bar and practice over and over and over again the plie which is the reverent bend of the knees. 
the repeated continuous bending motion through each of the classical positions is the foundation of knowing that every intricate dance step begins and ends with the plie. From a child's first introductory class to the professional rehearsal, ballet dancers have repeated these exercises millions of times. For most ballet dancers, this daily ritual of standing at the bar and running through the warm-up exercises helps them leave behind the cares and occupations of this world and deeply focus on their body and their breath. As they loosen and stretch and open their body in preparation for the aerobic workout ahead, they are also building muscle memory. Neuroscience teaches us that the thigh muscle in and of itself doesn't memorize the movement. Rather, the repetition is reinforcing the neural pathways in the brain. One particular muscle in the body, the heart, is something that we either sentimentalize for its feeling or we compartmentalize for its biology. I often wonder about the interconnection of our brains and our heart. And in particular, the muscle memory of our spiritual lives. Seems to me that this kind of spiritual muscle memory is what the prophet Jeremiah was talking about centuries ago. This morning, I want to reflect with you on the vocation and vision of Jeremiah and how that vision shows up in Jesus' own words and actions. For ultimately, Jesus, just like Jeremiah, is inviting us to pay attention to the patterns of God's life so that we might cultivate the spiritual muscle memory for building up the kingdom of God. Biblical scholars believe Jeremiah lived approximately 625 years before the birth of Jesus. He served as a prophet in the decades leading up to and during the Babylonian captivity. Evidently, the name Jeremiah is derived from the Hebrew word Yirmiah, which basically means to let loose. It's an apt description for a man that completely let loose on everyone. He condemned and yelled at the rich and poor alike, the temple priests and the prophets and the courtly princes. He even let his anger loose on God Almighty because he thought 
God was deceiving him. The bone Jeremiah wanted to pick was that people had let their spiritual muscles atrophy. From his point of view, everybody ignored the spiritual religious heart exercises designed to draw them closer to God and closer to God's compassion and justice and mercy. You know, spiritual exercises like prayer and listening and the ancient practice of hospitality to the stranger. And instead, they had turned to other habits like greed and shame, all of which made them vulnerable to the powers and principalities of this world that eventually would divide and destroy the people of God. No wonder Jeremiah was outraged. I often remind myself that anger and anguish are two sides of the same coin. Perhaps underneath all of Jeremiah's heated rhetoric was deep pain and deep yearning. You see, Jeremiah never lost his faith in God's steadfast love. So although Jeremiah denounced everyone, he simultaneously offered them words of consolation and hope. Jeremiah's vision of restoration wasn't going to be easy. It would require a community-wide rubric of exercising the muscle memory of their hearts. He called people to cast off their corrosive habits and attitudes and return home to dwell in the holy presence of God. He invited people to break open their lives so that the character of God might embed itself into the very fiber of their being. Jeremiah envisioned Torah or wisdom and law to be written into the core of people's body and soul. Jeremiah believed that from this deep wellspring of relationship would come a profound awareness of God's promise of love. I wonder if the 16th century poet and priest George Herbert was inspired by Jeremiah's vision when he wrote his third poem on love. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, 
worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took me by the hand and smilingly did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. It seems to me that knowing we are cherished and beloved of God is healing salvation. And that is the essence of Jeremiah's hope. So, how do we exercise our spiritual muscle memory? How might we balance doing and being? How do we respond to the radical welcome of God's love in our lives? How do we slow down enough to simply dwell in the loving presence of God? And I wonder what we might hear if we sat in that stillness and listened for the holy word in our lives. Jesus shaped his memory, ministry around this prophetic tradition that proclaimed God's eternal yearning to abide with all of creation. Why? Because Jesus knew that unless we make room for God to be the core and foundation for all that we do and all that we are, then we are merely living out of self-centeredness. Jesus teaches us that his way of love requires us to let go of our own agendas our self-importance, and our self-righteousness, and enter into the humility of our Lord. For Jesus, sacrifice and vulnerability are the source of our witness and our service. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus' own pattern to serve, to feed, to pray, to rest, to study, to listen, to comfort, to inspire, to teach, to challenge, to heal, 
and eventually to die and rise up are not simply Christian ministry actions. They are the practices that both strengthen our spiritual muscle memory and build up the beloved community. And so for us who follow Jesus and say yes to his way of love, discipleship means going out into the world with tremendous humility. Because whatever our work might be, we recognize it is inspired and guided by the risen Christ that lives within us. When we are nourished and by the welcoming and healing embrace of God's love, and we are sustained by resilient spiritual muscle memory, we are more equipped and empowered to follow Jesus wherever he may go and in turn to love like him. And to love like Jesus means to love all people all people because he promised that when he is lifted up from the earth he would draw all people all people to himself of course to love like Jesus is not as easy as we think truly who is hard to love right now Who makes it hard to follow the baptismal covenant mandate, respect the dignity of every human being? What do we need to let go of to love that one? What would it cost us to respect that one? What practice do we need to integrate into our daily lives and energize our spiritual muscle memories so that we can follow Jesus more dearly? My friends, the voice of the ancient prophet calls us to let God take up residence in the core of our being. Our Savior invites us to join him on a journey of discipleship, exercising our spiritual muscles along the way so that among the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where true joys are found, faithfully loving like Jesus. Amen.